for almost five years now, Titus and I have had a little competition going on. And I think Titus has been cheating me. Now, he says he hasn't been, but I think he's been cheating me. But I found out now exactly what's been going on. Titus has a 4.0 at school. That's what's been going on. He's been outsmarting me all this time. He's number seven in a class of 200 and something kids. And so that's, that's what I found out. He had really been cheating. Well, he's been taking advantage of me is what it is. So I think maybe that is cheating. So he's taking advantage of someone who's, uh, who's older and is not paying hardly as close of attention as he is. So uh, maybe that is cheating. But anyway... Uh, uh, Titus has been doing a good job at school, and uh, we want to recognize that uh, that he has uh, he has done that. Man, number seven out of two hundred some kids, I was like number seven from the bottom. You know. <laughs> oh me. We're going to begin in Romans chapter twelve. Romans chapter twelve. Our passage for today, we're not going to read the whole passage, but it will be open before us, uh, almost the whole chapter, but we're going to focus on uh, verses 1 through 15. Paul begins with uh, begging the the brethren in Rome to uh, present themselves as a living sacrifice, and in our passage ends with rejoicing with them that do rejoice and weeping with them that weep. And there's a whole lot of things in between uh, that we can make some kind of wonderful application to our lives. But as we begin to look at that, we need to understand just a few things. The future is always something of a mystery to us. The future is a mystery because... We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we have to plan for it, right? We have to plan for it because we're not assured that tomorrow's going to come. We're not assured it won't come, but we're not for sure that it will come, but we have to make uh, plans for it. We have to take measures in case it does come, and we are never sure what kind of challenges come with tomorrow. Now, we can be assured that challenges will come, but... We're not sure what challenges will come, but we have to also work for today so we can make tomorrow better. So when we begin to look at life, there are a whole lot of moving parts involved in making today better and making tomorrow better. William Arthur Ward, he said, The path gives experience and memories. The present gives us challenges and opportunities. The future gives us vision and hope. I think those are principles by which we all ought to live. And we ought to live uh, guided by principles like that in all aspects of our lives. We can look back on the things that have happened. We can look at opportunities in the present. And we can look for hope in the future. And we can look around and we can make things around us bigger and better. What does the future hold for individual Christians and for congregations of the Lord's people? I think we can identify success in in efforts of reaching out to the lost by treating each other with the love that we ought to, that God's asked asked us to do, and those are goals that God has set before us. And those are goals that we ought to maintain and that we ought to constantly 
be doing. Notice that anywhere in the Bible that we look in the New Testament, we do not measure success by those that we convert. Paul, in fact, made a statement. He said, I wasn't sent here to baptize people. But he was sent to preach the gospel, wasn't he? He was sent to teach the gospel. Being baptized or being converted, that rests upon the person who is hearing the message. Now, you have to have someone to teach the message. You have to have someone to preach the message. It has to be done. We have to send people to do it. But that rests upon the person that is receiving the message. That's what the parable of the sower and the, and the soil and the, all that is about. That's a big portion of that. It has a lot to do with the soil, doesn't it? But you have to have someone to, to sow the seed as well. But the idea is you have to sow the seed. That's our responsibility. Now whether the seed grows or not, it will grow. It has the power to grow. But it has to do with the type of soil in which it is planted. And so uh, what are we going to do? Like most things, if we're going to continue to be successful and enjoy even more success, we have to have a plan. We have to be able to look at that plan and have something that will allow us to be successful. Right? Look at any kind of an organization in the world, and I can guarantee you that they had a plan to get to where they're going and to maintain their position where they are. There is a plan. And when we look at the church, God has a plan. God has given that plan. All we have to do is follow after the plan, right? We cannot say for sure what tomorrow holds, but we can prepare ourselves in such ways we will ensure that we take advantage of every opportunity and make all we can out of what comes our way. You know, we don't know what's going to come our way. But whatever it is that comes our way, we can take advantage of that opportunity and make the best from it. Right? There's a thousand sayings that go along with that particular mindset, right? Strike while the iron is hot. There are all kinds of colloquialisms. You know, make hay when the, when the sun's shining. Let's do all of those things, right? That's the idea behind it. And so as we think about tomorrow and how we can make the most of it, we have the perfect example before us in the great apostle Paul. How did he do it? How was he able to be successful? We have it laid out before us. Let's begin this way. He wanted his readers to look at tomorrow. Now notice he didn't say count on tomorrow, bank on tomorrow, I guarantee you tomorrow will come, but he wanted his readers to look at tomorrow, prepare for tomorrow. Because it might come, now it might not, but if it does, you'll be prepared for it. So if we look at tomorrow, and that's our first point, what we will see, if we look at it in the way God intends, we will see dedication. Notice what he said. He said, I beseech you, brethren. You know what he could have said? He could have said, I command you to be holy. But that's not what he did. He didn't say that. He begged them to be holy and to present themselves before God in that same manner, Right? His reasoning was they should have been holy because God was holy. That's just the reasonable service, right? That just made sense. 
If God's holy, you ought to be holy. Why? Well, because of what God's done for them. Not just what God's done for them, what God's done for us. It's the readers on down through time who have also read this letter, right? The letter to the Romans is still in existence and and 2,000 years later we're still reading it. We're still learning from it. We're still gleaning the message and the principles behind it and Paul is still pleading and begging through the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit through Paul, please present yourselves because that's your reasonable service. Be holy because God is holy. And the whole idea behind that is because of what He's done, right? Because of what God has done. Now the person who fails to be obedient is so because he refuses to surrender himself to God. He's not dedicated. That person is not dedicated to God. You're not going to see dedication in that person's life. Dedication is important. Whatever anyone is doing, right? If you're going to be successful in doing whatever it is you want to do, you have to be dedicated to it. If you want to open a business and you want to be successful in that business, you have to be dedicated. You want to go to school? You want to, you want to uh, uh, get a degree in this or that? You want to learn to be a teacher? What do you have to do? Dedicate yourself to that, right? You want to learn to be something else. You have to dedicate yourself to that. You can't just sit around and say, well, I hope I do okay on the test. I hope it turns out well. I would rather play uh, this game or that game or stay up all night on video games or, or do this, watch TV, whatever it is, go fishing. You have to have dedication. It's the same way to get to heaven. I want to get to heaven. I have to dedicate myself to getting to heaven. Right? Why does the world miss that? Why does that go over the head of the people in the world? They'll dedicate themselves to some kind of a physical thing, but they think they can just fall into heaven? I'll just trip into heaven? I'll just mistakenly wake up after I die, and there I am in heaven? It doesn't work like that in any other aspect of life. So why should it work like that in the spiritual? King Saul, he refused to surrender himself to God. He was not dedicated to God when he offered sacrifice outside of the law to God. He lost the kingdom. More importantly, he lost his soul. We get over to the New Testament. We're dealing with the very Savior of the world. We have an apostle named Judas. He did not surrender to the Savior. He surrendered to Satan and to his greed. He made a covenant with the rulers of the Jewish religion. Matthew 26, 15. He said, what will you give me? And I will deliver him to you 30 pieces of silver. Did he think he was just going to stumble on into heaven? It doesn't happen that way. So what he lost was... His 30 pieces of silver because he took it back and he threw it down because he repented himself of what he had done. Worldly sorrow, not godly sorrow. And then he went out and he killed himself. He committed suicide by hanging and he died in his sin. Matthew 27, 3-10. His lack of dedication cost him the most precious thing any person has in this world. Matthew 16, 26. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? He would give every single thing he could put his fingers on if he could swap it out 
and get out of hell. That's what a person would give in exchange for his soul. Satan realized that as soon as he hung himself. You know, it's not been that many years ago we went up to Gatlinburg to CYC and Kyle Butt was preaching. He was talking about it was a bad deal. The guy that jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge, he said, just as soon as I turned loose, I realized I made a bad deal. But it was too late. Now, he happened to survive. He happened to survive. But he was one of the few, right? As Paul looked at tomorrow, he had dedication, but he also had separation. That is because one's dedication to God is intimately connected to his separation from the world. We have to be apart from the world. Jesus is coming back to gather his followers, John 14, 1 through 3. We talked about that this morning. Not those in the world. He is going to come back and he is going to gather those who behave like him, who dress like him, who speak like him, who think like him, and the list goes on, right? We cannot be like Christ and like the world at the same time because those things are opposites. You cannot have two things that are exactly the opposite occupy the same place at the same time. That's called a contradiction, right? They can't exist in the same space at the same time. It's impossible. And so a person cannot claim to be a Christian and then act like they are part of the world. We mentioned this the other day. Someone says, well, so-and-so is a, is a member of the church. And, and you know, and we delight in that when we find someone who's a member of the church. Well, do they behave like they're a member of the church? That's a whole other question, isn't it? That's a shame that that's one of the first things that pops into our minds. Do they behave like they're a member of the church? Can you tell they're a member of the church? How many times have you run across someone and you've known them for a period of time and then it comes out they're a member of the church and you thought, well, I would have never known that. I would have never known that. If I hadn't stumbled. Now, we'll stumble across something like that. But people are not going to stumble into heaven. We have to consider tomorrow, we have to consider our actions because tomorrow may come, it may not come. A Christian cannot be like the world. That's the whole point of the parable of laying up our treasures, right? Laying up our treasures in heaven. It ends in Matthew 6, 24 with this statement. No man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other. See, a contradiction cannot uh, uh, maintain the same space and time. Or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That word mammon means money. And so you cannot serve God in physical things is the whole point. right? You cannot be a slave to the physical and a slave to God. And we have to consider God. As Paul looked at tomorrow, he had dedication, he had separation. But why was that possible? Transformation. That's what he's talking about in Romans chapter 12, isn't he? Being transformed. Every person is either a conformer or he's a transformer, period. Now, if the person says, well, I'm neither one because I don't even think about it, you're a conformer. You're a conformer. Right? That's what, period. That person is a conformer to the world. If you're not thinking about it, and you're not putting forth the dedication and the separation, you are a conformer because you're not being transformed. 
Because it takes the Word of God to be transformed. And that's what Paul is talking about. One who has obeyed the gospel will grow and mature as a Christian or they will stagnate and eventually fall away. If we're not growing and maturing and and getting better and stronger every single day, that means we are getting stagnant. What happens in the physical world when that happens? We start asking questions, don't we? What's wrong here? Something's wrong. Something's going on. We've got to go to a doctor. We've got to call the vet. We've got to get someone out to look at her garden. Her plants aren't growing. They're dying. Something's wrong in the physical world, and we need it taken care of immediately. Now we begin to worry. But no one seems to worry. You know, when I say, I say that in general terms about the world. They don't seem to worry when that happens spiritually. That is because denominationalism has just taken over the world. But we know that. We know that. We understand that. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. A whole lot of folks are going to go in the broad way and very few in the straight way in the narrow gate. Okay? That doesn't mean we just give up and we don't try. No, but that understand, we understand what, what we're dealing with. Right? And so we have to transform. How does that happen? Paul said, by the renewing of our minds. That is supposed to happen every day, right? That must happen daily. When one renews his mind, he does not give Satan access to his heart. He's not giving him opportunity. He's denying him opportunity to cause him to sin. Paul encouraged the Ephesian brethren. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 24. Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 24. Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Here it is. Neither give place to the devil. Do not give Satan an opportunity to tempt one unto sin. He's talking to Christians. That's something we need to consider. Christians should not ever allow Satan an opportunity to trip them up. Why does it matter if he's talking to Christians or he's talking to non-Christians? Satan already has the world. Satan is wholly focused on the very minute number of Christians in the world. He pays very little attention to everyone else. He's got them. He may do some maintenance work here and there, but that's about the size of it. Right? Like Paul, when we think about tomorrow, we must look to it, but we must also live in the now. That's our second point. We can't just be wholly concerned about what's going on tomorrow. We have to live in the now, right? How do we go about that? A person begins his or her Christian life first with self-evaluation. We have to understand where we're standing, right? Where am I at in my relationship with God? That's the first thing anyone tries to discover. The person who's not a Christian has to come to the realization, this isn't working. Something's wrong here. What I'm doing isn't getting it done. Paul demanded, 2 Corinthians 13 beginning with verse 5, 
Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves? How that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates? You know, Paul could have shown them the power of an apostle. The whole, the whole gist, or, or one of the main themes of 2 Corinthians, is Paul defending his apostleship. You had those Judaizing teachers coming in there and saying, you know, Paul's kind of second rate. Paul's not like one of the original twelve. Uh, you know, Paul's teaching this and Paul's teaching that. And he said this and he said, Paul's not even here. Paul wrote you a letter a while back. I wouldn't even pay attention to Paul. And so Paul writes him a letter. He says, why don't you look at yourself? I think if you look at yourself and you examine yourself, you see whether or not Christ is in you, you will understand that we are not reprobate. He's talking about himself and his company. You evaluate yourself. He could have arrived in Corinth with the rod of an apostle. He could have grabbed their attention much in the same way that Peter got Ananias and Sapphira's attention in Acts chapter 5. When they lied to the Holy Ghost, when they lied to God, and He struck them dead, and they had to carry them out and bury them in the back, Paul could have done that. But he wanted them to examine themselves. Find out where you are. Don't worry about me. You're looking to the wrong person, right? Rather than examining Paul, the problem was their problem. It wasn't Paul's problem, right? They needed to find out what their problem was. I think often too many people are concerned with other people and ignore their own shortcomings, right? That's why Jesus warned this, Matthew 7, beginning with verse 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. You know, now here's the thing. He didn't say we couldn't correct each other. But what he did say was, look, get the light pole out of your eye. And then when it comes time to get the splinter out of your brother's eye, you don't have a light pole in your eye blocking your view. And then you can get that speck out of your brother's eye. We better be able to correct each other. Right? That's the thing. We better be able to correct each other properly. But we have to have self-evaluation first, right? And that's what Paul's talking about. We have to, before we can worry about and look to tomorrow, we have to live in the now. And, we, and it must begin with evaluation, right? If the church is going to flourish tomorrow, if the saints are going to remain faithful, we must also, along with evaluation, we must have cooperation, right? Or the task becomes even more difficult. Even more difficult. We have to have cooperation. Luke described those on the day of Pentecost as being together and had all things in common, Acts 2.44. Now, of course, what we read in Acts is a voluntary cooperation between brethren, okay? As the church was 
uh, being newly founded. They were coming together. It was a, it was a different situation. And so they were reaching out and they were helping each other. And they did that so the church of Christ could be successful. Okay? Cooperation is a very fundamental necessity. We're talking about the church. But any organization must have cooperation, right? We're, we are at this very moment, as far as the White Oak congregation is concerned, in the, in the stages of planning and preparation for just a wonderful outreach that we're getting ready to... Uh, to engage in. We're going to reach out to the community around us. We've got a couple zip codes we're going to reach out to. We're going to go down to the to the uh, uh, North Chattanooga area and, uh, and we're going to reach out to them and we're going to, we're going to send a newsletter and we're, we are really excited about that. We're going to present that and we need everybody's help. We need the whole congregation's help if this thing is going to be successful, right? And it will be successful. Now, does that mean that we're going to have 200 baptisms? I don't know. I hope we do. But whether or not we do, it is still successful because we're reaching out to those who are not Christians. That's what Paul was talking about. And it takes cooperation, right? We have to have that. We've seen cooperation be successful. We've seen it in the book of Acts. We've seen it in our own congregation. Right? We've seen it. We, we had a door knocking campaign here that we had some really great cooperation. Now, some people might not say that we had any success with that. Now, if we're counting uh, reaction from the community, okay, well, we, we might say it's not successful. But it was successful because we reached out to the community, we spread the gospel. Okay, now we're going to try something different because we want some better reaction. So we're going to try something different. But we have to have cooperation, right? But we also have to have participation, right? We have to have participation. If tomorrow's going to be bright, participation has to exist in the present. Paul commanded, let, us love, let love be without dissimulation. That means without hypocrisy or play acting. We can't just say, I love you. We have to demonstrate that love. That love has to be seen by others, has to be recognized and understood, right? John encouraged, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth, 1 John three eighteen. That doesn't mean we don't tell each other we love each other. But what it means is, and probably the more important facet of that, is we demonstrate that love to each other. Participation is an action. It's something that happens. It is something a person does. It's something another person can recognize. And here is the, the kicker that a lot of congregations in the brotherhood do not recognize. It is something that every single member can do. No matter a person's situation. No matter a person's situation. There is something that someone can do as far as participation goes. Now that varies from person to person, right? One person cannot do something that another person can do. Okay? But they can do something. So as Paul thought about tomorrow, we see that he could look, he could live, 
and he could love. But as we do that, sometimes we're going to encounter opposition. We're going to encounter opposition. And we have to consider that if we are going to consider tomorrow because that comes with it. Christians have both blessings and battles. Okay? And we have to look at those things that may stand in the way. Paul taught us how to properly respond to those who oppose God and his people. Christians are expected by God to, to conduct themselves in the noblest of fashions. We do not respond in the same way the world does. When we interact with those who would persecute the church, here's what Paul said. Bless them which persecute you. And this is in our passage. Bless and curse not. That means we don't join them in their evil activity, whether it's speaking evil or behaving evil or whatever that case may be. But when we encounter problems, we might be able to overcome the opposition if we pay close attention to the situation in which someone finds themselves. A situation might open up opportunity, right? We should genuinely be interested in the experiences of people. You know, most people know about joy and happiness and sorrow. And we ought to feel happy when good things happen to our brethren. We ought to feel happy when good things happen to people that we know. Now, the world at times will be jealous toward others when good things happen to them. They may even be envious. But we ought to be happy, much like when we get over to Luke 15. Uh, the shepherd found a lost sheep. The woman found her lost coin. The father found his lost son. And all the neighbors involved in those parables rejoiced with those who lost something. That's what God expects. But life isn't all joy and happiness. So when we get to verse 15 of our passage... You also weep with those who weep. Now, we may not be able to have empathy with everyone in their situation, but we can surely always have sympathy, right? We can always have sympathy and, and be heartbroken with those who are heartbroken, right? Uh, that's what God expects. It ought to hurt us personally when we see our brethren in pain. And we need to be aware of the, the situation surrounding our brethren, but we ought to be aware of the, the situation surrounding all people uh, because that may open up an opportunity to lead someone else to Christ, even someone who may think they're in opposition to Christ. They may see our behavior toward them in, in a particular period of time in their life, and they will remember that. They will remember that. And so we need to, we need to consider that. Paul said, the strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification. Romans 15, 1 through 2. Victor Hugo, he wrote these words. He said, the future has several names. He said, for the weak it is impossible. For the faint-hearted it is the unknown. For the thoughtful and valiant it is ideal. It's opportunity. It's a chance for something good to happen. And you know what? If it doesn't happen this time around, it'll happen with the next great idea that someone comes up with. Tomorrow has so much to offer the faithful Christian, but he must be willing to live according to what God has asked. Now here at the same time, tomorrow doesn't offer the person who is outside of Christ anything. 
because it can't until tomorrow becomes today. And it might not show up. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation, if you need to come back to Him through repentance, confession, and prayer, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.